All right. So I want you guys to turn to the book of Philemon. It's on page, I'm pretty excited about this. It is on page 1,000 in your Bible. I've never been able to say that before. It's on page 1,000, 1,000 in your pew Bible in front of you. If you brought your own Bible, I don't know what page it's on. But it's a little letter that's tucked right in between Titus and Timothy and James and Hebrew. And it's, you could easily miss it because it's about a half page in your Bible. I was literally with somebody the other week and they were looking, they're like, it's not in my Bible, I swear. Uh, it is. Well, unless someone like ripped it out, it probably is there, but it's really easy to miss because it's like a half page. Um, but it may be short, but it's sweet. And I think there's going to be some great things we take away from it. So turn there to page 1000. And while you guys are turning there, I want to tell you guys a little bit about the background about this book and what was going on. So this letter was a personal letter. It's one of the few letters that's this personal that we have from the Apostle Paul. Most of them he was writing to whole churches. And this one was distributed to others, but it was very much a letter between him and friends. And it was written about 27 years after Jesus Christ had died and gone back to be with the Father. And Paul is in prison right now, his first time in prison in Rome. And the type of prison that he was in uh, was a house arrest type of prison. And so he was able to have visitors and people in the home. And somehow, Onesimus, who was a slave to Philemon, he runs away and somehow he ends up meeting Paul. Now, slavery was not good back then, but one thing that we need to keep in mind in this story is that it wasn't how it is today. It wasn't when we think of uh, what we've seen in the last 200 years recently. It wasn't like that. Oftentimes, it was something where you could even sell yourself into it because you, you had financial needs. And so you'd make an arrangement with somebody and say, I'm going to be part of your household for the next, you know, 10 years and whatever you say goes and, and I'm, I'm going to work for you. And so we don't know what type of arrangement this was. We, we don't know if it was uh, more of an abuse or if it was less. But either way, it's not an ideal situation, slavery, that's for sure. But at the same time, uh, it's not the right thing to just, you know, uh, we don't know all the details, make an arrangement with somebody and just take off. And so somehow Onesimus takes off. He runs into Paul in prison. Paul shares his faith with him. He receives Christ. His life is changed. Paul begins to show him what it means to live as a Christian. And he becomes like a right-hand man to Paul. He's helping him out. But as a believer, Paul knows, hey, we can't just leave these things unsettled. And so he writes this letter to Philemon, who Onesimus had been working for, who had been a slave to, to try to square things away. So that's where we are. And uh, we're going to pick up in verse 8, so you guys can follow along with me. Paul's plea for Onesimus. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner, also for Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. Now, I just want to pause there really quick. You can see in his appeal that Paul's really good with his words. He's pretty smooth in the way he phrases things. Um, so take a note. Whose father, I be, for whatever purpose, whose father I became in my imprisonment, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent 
in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but rather by your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So four things I want to point out that are happening here in this passage. Verse 8, Paul says that he's confident in Christ to demand, uh, to demand, this is not in the notes, I'm just pointing out some observations. I see you guys trying to, if you want to write, it's great, but I'm just going to point out a couple observations here. He's confident in the will of God to command Philemon to let him go. Philemon to work this out with Onesimus. And that says a lot about Paul. It says a lot about his prayer life. It says a lot about where he stands with God. He knows he has confidence to just basically say, look, you need to do this. He also must have some sort of relationship with Philemon to be able to speak that boldly. And I think a note for us is sometimes we feel that way with our friends and family. And then when they don't listen to us, we're surprised that it doesn't go very well. So we're, we're more uh, just trying to be on an episode of Who's the Boss? And they're like, yeah, I am. I don't, I don't really care what you have to say. But it's neat to see that Paul feels that type of confidence in his relationship. But look, he doesn't do that. He doesn't just demand it. Look, in, in verses 9 through 11, he appeals to his friend. He appeals to his brother in Christ Philemon in love. And the action that he asks from him in verses 12 through 14 is he asks that Onesimus is being sent back to Philemon and that he would consent to work things out with Onesimus, to forgive him, to set him free. Paul's hoping that Onesimus can still serve him, but that he can do it being squared away with Philemon, that, that Onesimus doesn't have this, this sin, this problem hanging over his head anymore, and nor does Philemon, not knowing what happened to this person who ran away from me. And in verses 15 and 16, here's the, the fourth thing I want to point out. Paul sees a greater purpose in all of this. He says to him, Perhaps this is why he parted from you for a while, so that you would gain him back as, as more than just a servant, that you would gain him back as a brother in Christ. And so we're going to see that later on as we study this passage. We're going to see that even in conflict, even in a bad situation, even in a problem, even in a scandal, somebody running away from somewhere he should have been, Paul is seeing God's Sovereignty. He's seeing something positive that can come out of this. He's seeing a greater purpose on how God can use this. Um, and we know that from Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for the good of those who love him, both those that are bad and good. So two reasons why Paul sent him back. One, because there's been a wrong between two believers, and he knows it needs to be settled. And two, Paul really values face-to-face -face reconciliation. He knows that there's a wrong there between them, and they need to make it right in front of each other. So here's our first point that we see from the passage. First of all, reconciliation is God's heartbeat. It's central to the gospel, and it's central to the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I was thinking in the gospels, in the life of Christ, why do we know this is central to him? Well, we know it's central to him because of the relationships that he had with his friends, with his disciples. And one of the closest relationships that Jesus had was with his disciple Peter. And back in the, the 2,000 years ago, when Jesus was walking around and living life with his disciples, 
Uh, we know that from, from all the pictures, uh, but we just know historically and culturally as well, that they wore sandals. That was the custom. And we also know that when they ate, they didn't eat at raised tables the way we do. Their tables were down lower to the ground, and they kind of sat on some mats. And so if you're walking around all day in the dirt and, and in, and in uh, mud and stuff, and you're about to sit with your feet close to your food, that's, that's nasty. So the custom of the day when you came to somebody's house, when you come to, to my house, or if I would go to your house, probably the custom you would have uh, is, can I get you something to drink? That's usually what we do. That's our American custom. We offer somebody a glass of water or a beverage. Their custom was to either have a servant or they themselves to get down on their knees and, and wash your feet. That was just the custom. That's how it was. Now, for us to relate to that, we think that's pretty nasty. Like, imagine if that was our custom. We all when we got each other's houses. It was like, hey, let me kick my shoes off. There you go. Um, but that's what they did. And what's neat about their custom that we can even understand who our Savior is today is that by someone getting down and washing someone's feet, when Jesus washed, and there's a time that we read about in the New Testament where Jesus washed Peter's feet, and and Peter's like, no, like, there's, I'll let you give me a glass of water, but there's no way you're going to wash my feet. I mean, you're, you're my Lord, you're, you're Jesus. And Jesus was showing him, I didn't come here to be served. I didn't come here for myself. I came here for you. I came here to serve. I came here as a blessing to you. And then Peter responds, then wash my whole body. And Jesus is like, whoa, calm down. Uh, just need to wash your feet, dude. But it's the same for us. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. He wants to reconcile us with our Heavenly Father. And later on, Peter, in front of, in front of a charcoal fire, Jesus, his best friend, is going to be arrested and tried and killed. And when people come to Peter, when this is all happening... He denies him three times. Now put yourself in Jesus and Peter's shoes for a second. Imagine right now your best friend in the world. Imagine the person you trust the most and you get in the worst trouble you've been in life and they're like, I don't know them. I do not know this person anymore. Like, wait a second. I thought we, I thought we had something here. But Peter denies Jesus three times. And we're a lot like Peter. We always want to be the hero in the story, but the reality is, is that every one of us has things that are broken in us because of sin. And when Jesus comes back in John 21 in front of another charcoal fire, he's preparing him. I love this outdoor scene. He's sitting in front of a fire, and he's preparing a meal for him. And he asks Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter did love him, and so it hurt to be asked that. And what Jesus was doing in front of all the other friends, all the other disciples, was he was restoring Peter to him. He was saying, hey, you are my son. You are the one I love. I forgive you. So as I'm sharing this story with you, you might be asking, what does that have to do with me? And as Pastor Chad says sometimes, well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> because we came in here today, and the way the world works 
is generally we think if I do the right things, if I use wisdom, as I show discernment, good things are going to happen. People are going to like me. My relationships are going to be fine. If I do dumb things, if I don't use wisdom, if I don't use discernment, uh, things are not going to go so well. That's generally how our mindset, our economy works. But that's not how God's economy works. It's not that he doesn't want us to do the right thing. Of course he does. But at some point, even if we always do the right thing and we're blessed and we're blessed and we're blessed, at some point, sin has entered this world and our bodies are going to die and we will go through pain. And it's not a pretty thing. And Jesus enters into our life to say, I want to save you from that eternal death. I want to give you eternal life, but I also want to help you have life right now. And even if you feel in your life right now like generally things have gone pretty well for me, I guarantee you if you allow God in, he will show you that there's something that's not quite fulfilled, something that's a little broken. And Jesus wants to enter in to each of us and remind us that no matter what secrets you have, no matter what things you may have done, no matter what pain you've gone through, I love you. I love you as you are at your best and at your worst. And so this first point, reconciliation is at God's heartbeat. We can't move to other relationships until we ourselves are reconciled with God. And so I want to invite you this morning, if you've never heard that, that Jesus Christ, God himself, came in the flesh and lived a sinless life for you and died on the cross, I want you to know that, that he did that for you. And if you've heard that before, but it hasn't felt real recently, I want to remind every one of us of that, of God's perfect love for us and power for us. Which leads me to our second point. God wants to use us, God wants to use me in his plan for reconciliation. He saved Peter and he sent him to the Jews. He, sent, he saved Paul and he sent him to the Gentiles. See, when we understand how much God loves us and what he's done for us and that we don't have to have any secrets or hide anything from God, we want to share that love with others and it affects the way that we relate to other people because we're so free, we're so released we want everyone else to know about that type of relationship, a relationship with Jesus Christ like that. And I can think of an example from someone in our church. Uh, last week I had the privilege, that, that's a perfect example of this. Uh, there's a family that's been coming to church here for years, Gil and Sylvia Vidiel. And Sylvia, for the record, I'm not trying to advertise, but she is a sports and medical massage therapist and she's amazing. So, uh, side note. But she's been coming to Grace for years, and somebody came to her as a client, and she took a leap of faith when the person started opening up about how it's been difficult because her husband's job has kept him away a lot, and it's just hard on the family, and then raising teenagers. And Sylvia said, hey, you got to check out my church. And sure enough, four years ago, she invited, uh, she invited them to come to church, and there's her eldest son came to church on a Wednesday night 
and Sylvia made sure that her eldest daughter waited for him outside, and it's always encouraging coming to church when a girl's waiting for you. That's kind of cool. Make sure he felt welcome, and he loved it, of course, and they came back on Sunday, and as a pastor now and as a member of this church, I've been able to watch Carlos and Monique and their four boys grow year after year in their relationship with Jesus Christ because someone took a risk and said, I want to share what I have in God with you. And it was so cool because last week during the first service, I got to baptize the whole family. And it was just amazing to watch this family that's been changed together. Now, what I want to do now is I want to remind us that God has adventures like that waiting for us. So if you would put the Disciple Maker's Prayer up on the screen. I think the reality is that it's, and I'll just say for me, it's a lot easier for me to not, if you will, get the bucket out and get awkward. I like to keep everything, like, on the cool. I don't, I don't want to say anything. I'm like, oh, sorry, I said too much, uh, or asked too much. My bad. And yet, we know that Jesus wants to use us. He wants to use us to show his love. And if we pray to him, God, use me, he's going to send us people to share his love. And I think sometimes, this is not, this is not a guilting right now. This is hopefully, I'm not, this is not a drive-by guilting. I'm hoping this is a drive-by encouragement. I think oftentimes we're missing out on the adventures that God wants to send us because we're just letting fear be too big. And I loved uh, Bill, who's been a great mentor to me and a great friend over the years. I love this prayer that he shared with us two weeks ago about praying, God, send me people to encourage. Send me people to share my faith with. And so I just want to say this together today as a church as a reminder that God uh, wants to use us. He wants to send us to people. And so if you guys would, let's say this together. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to the specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, loves people, and makes disciples who make more disciples. Ad infinitum, in Jesus' name, amen. Ad infinitum just means on and on and on. Here's our third point that we can see from this passage in Philemon. Followers of Christ pursue unity, practice forgiveness, and desire reconciliation. The more that we get to know God, this just becomes the more of who we are. Our vision as a church is to plant a healthy church in every zip code in Laredo. Our vision is to build a larger facility so there's room for people to come. Our vision is to continue to preach the gospel not just in English, but in Spanish. And the reason for all these things is not just to have a bigger space or to have other churches out there in Laredo. The reason that God wants us 
to preach the lang to preach the gospel in Spanish and in English. The reason why God wants us to have more space, the reason why God wants us to be able to start healthy churches across our city is so that he can send his love and his truth out to everyone in our city. But we don't need to wait to do that because every single one of us is a link in a chain of God's love right now. Not really more important or less important than any other. And he wants to use us to pursue unity, to spread forgiveness, and to spread his word. We can't reach everybody, but we can all reach somebody. And a lot of that, just like we need to experience God's love first, we also need to pursue unity in our relationships in the body of Christ first before we spread it out. Uh, one, one example, I had a friend years ago who we were living together, a bunch of guys, and that's just the beginning of any great crazy story. And the bills were never, like, given. And so I started telling the guy that had all the bills, I'm like, hey, let me know what I'm going to owe you because, you know, I don't want to get stuck with something huge. And, I, and so I asked him a couple months, and he's like, nah, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And I'm like, dude, like, if you don't let me, like, I can't just fork over bills for, like, after six months. I need to have some sort of idea. And he just, he never let me know. And so finally he comes to me one day with this crazy amount of money, and I'm like, come on, there's, I'm not going to pay you. You're, you're crazy. And my other friend, he's like, you know, kind of challenging me on it. And I could tell that this friend who hadn't been given the bills, which I thought was like, okay, you missed your chance. Like, I gave you your window. I could tell that he was struggling a little bit at the time with his relationship with God. And I remember what my friend encouraged me with was, what amount of money is worth it to potentially discourage this other person? And I didn't want to do it, but I was like, all right, Lord, I think this is the right thing to do. So I wrote this check out, um, which was huge for me at the time, wiped out a good chunk of whatever I had saved. And the very next day, I go into work, and this was before I'd come on here. I was teaching at Trout Middle. My principal says to me, I need you to do a job for three weekends, and the pay is going to be this much. Would you be interested in doing it? And it was the exact same amount that I'd just written a check for the day before. And I was like, no way, God, this is amazing. And my faith was encouraged. My faith was rewarded. And, I, and it was like a, a little way the guy was telling me, like, hey, trust me, and also listen to your friends when they're pointing you back to making things right. It's hard, it's a lot harder to practice reconciliation and forgiveness than it is for me to stand up here and preach about it. It's really easy to preach about it. It's a lot harder to practice it. I, I like a couple of different quotes. I like what C.S. Lewis says. He says, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. Forgiving real-life sinners who have seriously damaged us is difficult. The reality is it takes constant work and prayer. And I like this quote even better. This is from one of my mentors. He says, To live above with saints we love would be glory. But to live below with saints we know, now that's another story. <laughs> at Grace, we value being a community that accepts people wherever they're at on their journey with God. And that means we need to be committed to pursuing unity, to pursuing a forgiving mindset towards others, to pursuing love. And we're the ones that get to set that. And I like, as we pursue forgiveness, I like how
how Paul leads us in it. I want to read those last two verses again of what he said to Philemon. He said in verse 15, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him, Onesimus, back forever. No longer as a servant, but more than as a servant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. It started off just this economic situation between these two guys. And Paul's pointing out, as messed up as it was, that, hey, this dude ran away. Somehow God used this whole messy situation to bring Onesimus to God, and now he joins us as a fellow servant of Christ. And I think he's giving us a trick, honestly, a trick. I mean, if you want to write, take anything down from today, write this down. It's a lot easier to forgive someone when we don't view them as intentionally trying to sabotage us or hurt us. When we can have some or the other perspective that says, I'm still choosing to believe the best in you, or I'm even, maybe I don't believe the best in you at the moment, but I'm believing the best in God. I'm believing that God's using this pain, this struggle, this broken relationship some way for something better. Because if we just get pragmatic about it, I know there's a lot of you guys out there that are pragmatic. It's like somebody does something wrong. It's like how, like, that's just bad. There's nothing good about it. But God works through brokenness. Every problem is an opportunity for God. First and foremost, we don't know what he's going to do in somebody else's life because of it. And then painfully, I hate this lesson. I'd rather God just doesn't give me this lesson, but he keeps giving it to me because I need it. God reveals the state of our own heart, our own mindset when problems happen. Because sometimes I want to feel like, this is an injustice. How could this happen? How could you talk to me that way? You know, like, um, and I have to step back and, and what am I expecting of others? Am I expecting that everyone else out there in the world is God? And that's one of the reasons why sometimes people are turned off from church because they say, well, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. And the reality is, is that we shouldn't be because that's pretty horrible. We should try to walk with God. But the reality is, is that none of us on this earth is a perfect witness of Jesus Christ. The only Jesus Christ is, yeah, Jesus Christ. So when we expect our kids, our wife, our friends, our family members, our cousins, our coworkers to act perfect, we're not walking with the mindset of Jesus Christ. Our mindset should be, I want you to do what's right. I'm going to expect you to do what's right, but I want to walk with you to get there because none of us has it all together. And one of the things that I want to share with us in, in how we can pursue unity and how we can pursue, pursue forgiveness is just how do you even say an apology and how do you even receive an apology? Because I think the reality is that a lot of us, we like just don't know how. So uh, here's a little funny Simpson. You can go back if that's, if that's still in there. When it comes to apology, a lot of us don't want to do it because Trying is the first step towards failure. I know this is not going to go well. I've tried this before. Let's just stay away from this. These are dangerous waters. Um, but there is hope. So here's a, here's a simple model, not the only model. You can add to it, take away. But I just want to give something we walk away with that says, how do you apologize? One thing is we need to say, I'm sorry. Now, for most of us, we just leave our apologies there, and that's why people don't take it serious. Because if you just keep doing the same thing over and over, and you just say, I'm sorry, they're like, yeah. 
I don't, I don't believe you. But we need to say we're sorry. And the next thing that we need to do after saying that we're sorry is we need to share specifics. And that's where it starts to get back to something a little bit more like this. It gets a little awkward. Because sometimes, just like it might be awkward to wash somebody's feet, we say things that we don't even know came out of our, like, how did that come out of my mouth? And we're embarrassed that we even said it. And it's one thing to just tell the person, like, hey, I'm sorry. It's another person to look them in the eye and say, hey, I'm sorry for saying this to you. I'm sorry for calling you this. I'm sorry for losing my cool. And to say those things back to them, it's, it's a lot harder. But a lot of times we're just avoiding the problem and we don't get specific. We're just repeating the same things over and over. And after we share specifics, we need to empathize, empathize with the other person. We need to both share, step in their shoes for a second. This is, I'm sorry that I did this. It might have made you feel like this. Don't assume you know. We don't know, but a lot of times we have a general understanding of how our actions might have made someone else feel. We need to say, hey, it, may, it might have made you feel like this, and I'm sorry to make you feel this way. I'm sorry to make you feel invalidated. I'm sorry to make you feel um, that you don't help out. I'm sorry to et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then we can also say how we feel. You know, I'm sorry um, that I did this, and here's why. And as we're doing all this, one of the most important things is listening because it's a chance for the person to feel heard, to feel validated, to see that we actually care. We're not just saying, I'm sorry, and eh, just forget about it. And as we dialogue and as we listen, the next step is we need, to, we need to dialogue and we need to repent. And dialoguing is simply talking about it. A lot of the problems in our families, in our workplaces, in our friendships, they're what you'd call perpetual problems. Uh, I mean, I, I could, we, could, we could probably, I could start interviewing you and asking what they are and we could all laugh because I guarantee you about 90% of your problems you have in your family, like they're the same ones that just like on replay, on replay, on replay. Um, and, and yet we still get angry <laughs> or we just run from it. And dialoguing is saying, hey, I'm not promising to be perfect, but I'm promising to grow. I'm promising to work on this with you. And here's why I think this happened and talking it through. And the repenting is actually trying to do something about it. Not being perfect, but actually trying to do something. And the last step in apologizing is asking for their forgiveness. And what enables us to forgive others and to be forgiven is this last point, that the cross and God's grace are greater than any other problem, than any other offense, than any other injustice, than any other scandal that's ever happened. Sometimes we don't want to ask for forgiveness because we know the person's not going to respond well because they're probably still angry or maybe they're just as bad of a sinner as we are. And so we'd rather just not say anything because I don't, I don't want to go there. But we're not, we're not bringing reconciliation by not talking. And as awkward or as painful as it, must, as it may be, we can stand very confident when we ask for someone's forgiveness for something 
when we know where we stand with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is, has, is said to us in his word, no matter what you've done, no matter what secret you have, no matter what's happened, I died for all of it. I, I did this to show you how much I love you and I've forgiven you. And so if God's forgiven us, it doesn't matter what someone else says or does. And, and normally when someone like, when, you're, when this whole thing's happening and you're apologizing to someone and they're like, yeah, and they get mad at us, then we just get defensive. We're like, blah, we go back at them. But you can actually hold your tongue and be patient when you know the creator of the world, my creator, he's forgiven me already. And if this person can't forgive me, they're failing to see the creator. And maybe sometimes they just need a little time because they're really hurt and they just need to be upset for a little bit. And we can actually love them and let them be upset because we know, God, I know what I did was wrong and, and yeah, they're upset. But I know where I stand with you. So I want to wrap us up today. And what I want to leave you with is a couple questions. First of all, what scandal or what problem is in your life right now that either is just screaming at you or maybe you've just pushed to the side? And I want to take us back to what Paul writes for us. That reconciliation, he models for us, reconciliation forgiveness, being free, being released, no longer having things we're carrying that are unspoken or, or that we're hiding because we don't know how the person's going to react or people that just, that's just never been brought together and discussed. What situations in your life right now that God maybe wants you to take a step of faith, a step of courage towards? The other question that I want to leave us with what are you believing about Jesus Christ this week? And I just want to confess that I have, I have written on my Instagram to remind me, keeping my eyes on Jesus, my Savior and my Lord. As I'm thinking about all this, I can just, I can just come up here and I can just confess to you that I move away from that so quickly. I stop thinking about Jesus and I just start thinking about others and I just start thinking about myself and pleasing people and doing the right things. And the reality is, is that God wants us to keep Jesus in the right place in our heart to remember that, yes, let's pursue all the things that are right, but let's do it this week knowing that it's messy and it's broken and God is with us every step of the way. And as we pursue relationships and we pursue love, he wants to step into all of it. Would you guys pray with me?